Asalaamu Alaikum everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Dear Lifesaver by Islamic Relief UK. Here we're tackling some big questions we have about aid in the 21st century. Finding out what it takes to save a life and exploring how faith factors into all of this. I'm Zara. And I'm Nabila. And today we're speaking with climate campaigner Muna Suleiman, who currently works for C40, the city's climate leadership group, which comprises of 97 cities pushing for a more sustainable future for our world. Assalamu alaikum, Mana. How are you Alaykum doing? Salam. How are you? Good. It's lovely to see you it's again. It's so good to be here. It's like a reunion. It <laughs> is. So I met Mona doing a podcast interview at Malia and it was for the same subject it was for the climate crisis it was an episode called what's race got to do with the yeah. climate crisis mm. and Nabili and I met Mona how many years ago now 2015 I think it yeah was. I think I just graduated from uni so t- yeah, 2014-15 yeah, yeah. fresh out so the original Muslim climate organization I know we can, we we can, can say that made. I, yeah it was it was the OG for sure yeah I used to hear about Made um, through the grapevine. It was just like this cute little environmental Family. green space yeah. in East London <laughs> yeah. Mosque, and yeah. I wanted in. Honestly, they inspired me so much. Yeah, yeah, they did some fantastic work, and it's a real shame that they're they're no longer in um, in action. But it's good to know that they had, you know, we've got like a Made veteran who came through right at the <laughs> yeah. beginning. And then when I interviewed you last, you were a Friends of the Earth. Yeah. Um. So why don't you tell um our audience a little bit about yourself? Uh, what you're currently doing and then we'll jump straight into our subject for today. Yeah amazing well it's a pleasure to be here um, so my name is uh, Mona Suleiman um, and I'm a climate campaigner I've been campaigning on climate for a, a few years now. Um, Sarah said yeah I was at Friends of the Earth and that's for a long time there working on climate and air pollution um, and now I'm at C40 Cities where um, I'm working on um, kind of a global Green New Deal program so working to support specific cities Cities who want to deliver inclusive climate action. Wow. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, it's fa- I've only been there for a few months, but it's really fantastic. Um, and I think working with, you know, mega cities generally, mm. um, we're, we're able to show what cities can and have delivered mm. and then hopefully use that to push, you know, national and international governments to do their bit too. Mm. Oh my God, that's yeah. so exciting. Yeah. I am really interested in the city aspect of it as well because yeah. I think one question that's always on my mind is how big metropolises like London can suddenly reinvent the wheel here mm. and, and, you know, tackle the climate crisis. So would you be able to tell our listeners right off the bat, in a nutshell, what the climate crisis is? Yeah, of course. So the climate crisis, you might have also heard climate breakdown or climate emergency, really is about kind of human use of oil, gas, coal. Um, and essentially when we burn these fossil fuels, they release um, a gas called CO2, carbon dioxide, um, and that, that traps kind of the sun rays and essentially warms up the planet. Mm. Um, without, without making this like a key stage two science <laughs> lesson. Um, um, but as the planet warms, there's obviously massively devastating consequences of it. Um, and we, we are seeing um, uh, the consequences. So we're talking about extreme weather, floods, droughts, um, famine, um, and if without kind of drastic action from governments, um, that will only continue. Um, so it, yeah, in a nutshell, it's a crisis that will affect every part of our lives if we don't take action. We were talking yesterday about um, how I feel like this generation has grown up learning mm. about the climate crisis through David Attenborough and like his documentaries. Mm. Every single one of his documentaries has just gotten like progressively worse. Mm. And the most recent one was pretty much like we're at a point of no return. So if there was like one element or something you could highlight particularly about the climate crisis, especially with your wealth of experience and knowledge as well, what would that be? 
Oh, that's a really interesting <laughs> question. Firstly, yes, on David Attenborough. I feel like when he did his Blue Oceans one, yeah. there was, um, I feel like just the surge in like, concern around plastic mm. um, was yeah massive. Um, I mean, there's loads to highlight around the climate crisis, but maybe one that's particular to like the Islamic relief audience mm. um, really is that we may think of extreme weather when it mm. comes to the climate crisis, but the climate crisis as a whole kind of exacerbates existing inequalities that mm -hmm. we have. Um, so if we're concerned about famine, if we're concerned about war, or, you know, I think the Muslim community is really great on, like, supporting humanitarian crises, mm -hmm. then we need to be concerned about the climate crisis. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes we can see it in this very niche silo or we can see a specific audience caring about you know we can see you know middle class white mm -hmm. people more likely to care about it mm -hmm. but actually the climate crisis affects muslim people affects black and brown people disproportionately mm -hmm. and we need we need to be on the front line yeah. working to call for action mm -hmm. because you know it's our it's us people mm -hmm. like us our families quote unquote back home mm -hmm. um who are facing the brunt of it yeah, yeah and it's such a like integral like it's such a like significant part of our faith as well like without yeah. it then, you know and how how does that could you speak a little bit about that like how faith kind of ties yes, into yes for sure so i mean this kind of also links back to to, to made mm. <laughs> um a little bit so i think when i my story with the climate crisis um so i went to a very liberal university i went to soas university shout out if you know it <laughs> um, if you know you know if you know you know if you don't get to know <laughs> um and um there was very like clear eco warriors there people who are concerned about the climate but i just felt very alienated by how they approached me yeah. mm -hmm. it just wasn't my crowd i didn't feel like i fitted in with how they presented how to get involved so actor was like mm, okay that is an issue is it for me maybe not um, and then I left university and really wanted to campaign and wanted to get experience. And then I saw Maid had role for a Maid who are um, were an environmental Muslim organisation, mm. um, and they had a role for campaign intern. Mm. And I applied, and Alhamdulillah, I got the role. Mm. Um, and it was there that I really was able to unpack the role of faith in that, um, and the idea of being in Islam, being a steward of the earth, and um, you know treating everything and, and everyone with kindness so you know even how we use resources make sure we use it efficiently so they're they're there for the next generation um and then i kind of also in my head was like actually doing fulfilling my kind of duties for the environment was also fulfilling the duties for my religion um and the two are the same and i don't think they're as connected um and even like when the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam talks about consumption you know he talks about you know leaving your belly like only feeding yourself like a third that idea now we're kind of mass consumption we're kind of doing everything to the max really goes against the teachings of our religion so i think it is it's fundamental and i also do think it's a tool that we as muslims who are in the climate space can use to inspire others i mean that speaks a lot to the value of um, the work that we're currently doing at IR as well. But I want to kind of bring it right back to what that cycle is like, who's responsible mm. for the climate crisis, how it's perpetuated, because I, I know that you also refer to who it disproportionately mm. affects as well. So, I mean, from a macro lens, how does this thing get started and how is it sustained? Yeah, because <laughs> a good question. Um, so one of the, the big polluters, um, simply put, is companies. So fossil fuel companies are responsible for around 
like 70% of emissions. So it's like 100 companies are responsible for 70% of emissions. So that's like where it starts. The people who are seeking to produce fossil, producing them burn and use fossil fuels and keep it sustained because it is their business model. Um, And then there would be, I guess, a next level up is really trying to tackle kind of the political space that may enable companies to do that and in some ways you know subsidize that um and the rationale has been you know around economic stability and and a need for it um and really our world as it is which is why it's so important that we transition properly away from fossil fuels it's kind of we're dependent we've been built in a way that's so interlocked Mm. with fossil fuel subsidies um so i would say like those i guess are the the bigger kind of culprits if we're if we're going to use that word um and then i would look to kind of richer nations as a whole i think there's something around you know who consumes the most and and, and who emits the most mm-hmm. so oxfam research shows that um like the poorest 10 percent only um no so the poorest 50 percent sorry only emit 10 percent of emissions are responsible for 10 percent emissions mm-hmm. so i think there's a clear link there mm-hmm. um and i think we need to make sure as we move away from this, we do it properly. You know, we can no longer be relying on fossil fuels. We can't dig up anymore. We can't burn anymore because, you know, the very state of the planet is at risk. Yeah. And, and what would you say to people who write off any efforts to curb individual efforts to mm. tackle the climate crisis? Things like, um, you know, recycling isn't really that important. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to get a car because it's not really going to make that much of a difference. There are already so many in the world. Retata. So, I mean, how would you kind of approach that? Yeah, I think that's a really interesting question because on an individual level, there's of course there are things that we can do and the things that we should do. And I think it's an interesting question because let's be realistic, recycling isn't going to save the world, it isn't going to get out of this crisis. But I think what, what we can do on an individual level does in some way create a culture shift. Um, I think it creates... Uh, a difference in the, the society that we want to build. It sets an expectation for what we expect from decision makers. Um, and it really shows where our values are at as a community. Um, and I think there's something to be said about that. Um, and I think we should see it in its context. I, I, I also disagree with people who are like, individual action. So like, you know, why would, if I, a company like, you know, Shell, for instance, being like, hey, guys, what can we do to solve the climate crisis? You know, recycle more. And it's like, mm, maybe mm. you should stop, you know, drilling for like fossil fuels. Mm. Um, so I think, yeah, I think that's kind of how I, I would see it as well. Um, and I would also, with individual action, really tell people um, to just take it one step at a time. Yeah. I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but like with the environment specifically you kind of need to be an all-out 10 out of 10 performer Mm. or you're almost like delegitimized and what you do and i think that is a barrier for people who maybe want to take this small individual action but just sometimes don't feel like worthy enough or feel like they have to do everything to qualify absolutely um i don't know if you guys experienced that but i think for me that is such a blocker for people wanting to just do more eco things in their own lives of course especially with like social media like at play as well where you just see so much kind of online with people doing the most and shopping here and using like being completely waste free and those sort of things Mm. um yeah i would say i would say the same there's also the barrier to entry but there's quite a lot of stigma around um, environmental justice and campaigning and also there's so many misconceptions about what the climate crisis is and how to you know actively tackle it um and it's one of the 
biggest reasons we're doing this episode as well is mm. because this knowledge is really accessible so yeah it's definitely something that I resonate with I think a lot of the consumption or learnings or education comes from Netflix or comes from mm. like online mm-hmm. media and I wondered like how would you like for those that have kind of like lost hope like how would you encourage them to like care mm. like how would you encourage yeah. people to care yeah mm. I think it's people can definitely feel overwhelmed yeah. mm. with the climate crisis and you can feel like what what can I do as one person? You mentioned it. There was a very specific term I remember you used when I interviewed you last. Eco anxiety. That's maybe? it. I think it was. I th- I think it was something like that. And you said that it predominantly affected Generation Z or like the youngest generation, um, mm. and that there was this real phobia or paralysis almost when it came to the climate crisis. Yeah, that really stayed with me. Yeah, eco anxiety is. Is, is really prevalent and, and, and rising and can I can and definitely affects the younger generation who are looking at the state of affairs mm. and are genuinely really concerned for their futures and then the futures of others to come. So I, yeah, it's definitely overwhelming. There's a fear of uh, yeah, you're like you said the paralysis and this kind of idea of what can I do as like one person mm. on the planet of billions. Um, and I think for those people, what I would say is, um, and maybe this is a bit too techy to start off with, but a recent report from um, the IPPC, um, who are essentially global scientists who advise on climate. Um, it was a stark report mm-hmm. uh, around the situation of the crisis. But what they did say was kind of every fraction of change that or like emissions saved matters yes. and, and, and affects what we do. Yeah. So I would say to those people we have so much still left to fight for and so much that we're trying to save and your voice matters in that um action is only achieved from you know people Mm. um and when they lend their voices to it um and i think that's kind of what i would try to activate and i would also say to people in those situations you know if you do care and want to make a change but Mm. you're just feeling overwhelmed you know, can you find like-minded people? You know, can you join a community group in your area, mm. um, a space where you can really air out those anxieties, those feelings of sometimes um, feeling, you know, hopelessness, um, a space where you can then air it out and then work together collectively mm. to transform your local area, transform your country, and then overly transform the world in, in, in some ways. Mm. Um, so I would absolutely yeah, say that. It, it's I, I resonate with it, you know. Mm. Um, and I guess my final piece of advice for people going through the motions um, uh, would be to look how far we've come. Um, I think now climate is on the agenda it's on the agenda you know it's no longer a case of if it's gonna happen it's 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 when and what we need now is to see the action being delivered um, at the scale we need it and at the level that we need it so so far we've come so far and yes we there is a way to go but try not try not to lose hope because your voice matters and we need you in that fight Mm. that's such a beautiful piece Mm. of advice and here in the west where we can't see it as it's not hitting us as hard as it is you know certain other communities Mm -hmm. around the world Um, and it's still holding that space for people to treat it like we would um, a a physical ailment or you know any day-to-day kind of struggle that we're all having Mm -hmm. and and so it should I just wanted to also touch on a very important movements like the Black Lives Matter movement Mm -hmm. Um, we're in Black History Month at the moment we've also touched on this subject before in our previous interview um, interview about what race has to do with the climate Mm -hmm. crisis Um, and I was curious um, to know what social and systemic racism has to do with the climate crisis and who this disproportionately affects around the world yeah so 
the climate crisis is a social justice crisis. It can't be separated. Um, and it's very clear that as part of that, you know, black and brown and minority communities feel the sharpest effects of it. Um, and that's within like Western countries as well as when we look at the, the global scale as well. So within uh, Western countries, for instance, so let's say in the UK, um, you know, black people are, you know, less likely to be able to access quality green spaces, you know, less likely to have, you know, maybe an outdoor space within their home, more likely to um, live in areas where there's higher air pollution. Um, so there is a real clear link between race. And this, this is a similar story for, you know, countries around the world as well. Um, and then we look at uh, on um, a, a global level, um, countries in the global south have been dealing with and face you know extreme weather so we're seeing the rise of sea levels so that means you know flooding more likely droughts more likely and then the subsequent things that happen from them famine displacement um war conflict because resources become so scarce um and it even trickles over into like you know gender violence as well so it's a real kind of domino effect um and there's a yeah there's an absolutely thread within there of um, race, class, that, that goes in w- within there. And I think there's also something to say around, you know, because communities in the global south who may face the extreme weather aren't built up in from an infrastructure point of view to be resilient to these crises, when it does happen, that it's almost more devastating because it, it means it's kind of almost a total wipeout of communities, which is, yeah, which is unacceptable and, and something that needs to be on the front line. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I think that's another question that I had here for you was um, how it is affecting us here yeah. in the West. Um, I'll be honest, when it starts raining now, I mm. do also just look at the flood drains. I'm like, it, are you working today? <laughs> <laughs> oh no, oh God, I remember, what was it? Um, it was it was that station next to the Tower of London that w- got absolutely, yeah. fl- I've never seen anything yeah, like it. Stratford, it. Wasn't it? Yes. Was it Stratford as well? That was so awful. Honestly, so and then you're just, and then it, yeah, and then I think, so it's clear to see the effects that are reaching us and, and they will get worse. Um, we've, you know, just the, you know, the past years have almost been like record breaking heat. Yes. We've had heat waves. Mm. I didn't remember a few years ago that there was one summer where it was absolutely unbearable. Mm-hmm. Um, so we are seeing the effects and we're even seeing, you know, you know, the prospects of, you know, UK towns being, you know, climate refugees. Yeah. So we're seeing coastal areas um, being eroded as in the rise of sea yeah. levels. Um, and meaning, which means that you know the communities there would have to then, um, would be displaced. Mm. So, we're not immune, mm. um, and I, I think mm. it's important to remember that mm-hmm. in the narrative as well. Of course, the scale tips, you know, towards poorer parts of the world for sure. Um, but if without action, we're only going to see the consequence of the climate crisis hit yeah. us more. And um, Mina, as like individuals and as groups as well, how do you? Like, what are the first steps we can take to kind of, like, tackle the climate change? Or what small steps can we take in our lives and, like, with our friends, with family? How, like, how would you, what would you recommend? Yeah, that's, I think that's an, inter- it's an interesting question. And I think also when you're trying to inspire others in your lives to take individual action. So there's lots that we can do in terms of in our own lives. So there's, you know, how do we travel? You know, are we able to, you know, walk, take public transport? Um, you know, what do we eat? Are we able to, you know, reduce our meat consumption, our dairy consumption? Um, you know, 
could you try it? Like Ramadan is a great time mm. to, you know, try like a meat-free, you know, iftar. Um, and obviously we're outside of Ramadan now, but you know, you could do a meat-free Monday, for instance. Um, you know, think about you know smaller things like you know the plastic around you. You know, start, like going to the shops. If I forget my canvas bag or my tote bag, I'm like, why did I forget it? Um, <laughs> small things like that that could be integrated into your lives. You know, your fashion, mm. um, the garment industry yes. is is a uh, textile industry is, is a massive polluter and actually shows the links between you know climate, human rights abuses yes. and workers abuses really well, mm. um, and how similarly how, again that affects uh, black and brown communities. Yeah. Um, predominantly so I'd say think about those in terms of making changes in in, in your lives mm. and then I would also think about your voice right because mm. where individual action has a role to play but we need you know national governments to, to do their bit as well so mm. you know can you use your voice to really you know speak to your local decision maker you know rally others around you as like I say join a community group so you're you know you have power in numbers I think there's yeah that's how I would see it as a kind of duality of like things I'm trying to do in my life but then also how am I using my voice to elevate for the, the bigger actions? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and I would just say, go easy on yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, when you're keen, you want to do everything really fast. You may feel guilty for not doing something. Mm -hmm. You know, for instance, if you need a car because you have a disability or you're an, unable to afford something else, mm -hmm. go, like go easy on yourself. Yeah. Um, and I think similarly, when we are calling for action from, you know, national governments, um, it's important that then we call for action that enables people to mm. make those changes in their own lives yeah. um, and enables that to happen quicker because, yeah, people can only do so much yeah. without yeah. the support. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I guess it's like doing the best you can with what you have as mm. well. Exactly. I remember working um, with Human actually on the Every Garment Has a Name yeah. campaign so many years ago now, but I think that was like an kind of um, a year after like the Rana Plaza mm. um, factory um, incident in Bangladesh. And I'm just thinking about how... Um, when we were working on that, there was so much research down about um, like Islam and garments. And I remember a hadith which was like, pay your worker before their sweat dries, something mm. like that. And th we just read these, like found out about these really like kind of profound teachings like of Islam that I had no idea about that is just like completely, um, yeah, relevant to that situation. And um, I, I was gonna speak a little bit about um, like one of the things like so i'm originally from bangladesh and there's a massive crisis there mm. of like flooding mm. like monsoon like extreme weather conditions and i remember having to sit down with like my parents my grandparents and explain like this is because of like our actions really in the like global north mm. and yeah and a result of climate change and even that's a conversation like those kind of conversations are really tricky to have with like there's language barriers and kind of cultural barriers there but how would you bring that conversation home or mm. like how would you kind of have that conversation with like how do you make that cultural shift essentially um especially in a home where maybe there's a kind of lack of education around the mm. climate crisis or maybe a lack of resources growing up that sort of thing yeah that's a really good question and like similarly so i'm from somalia and um we experience like droughts mm -hmm. extreme droughts um and the community like it's connected to the community so we have you know fundraisers yeah. where we send money uh, like resources to support them um and i think that's a really good question because you know i remember once when i bought oat milk home and my mom was like <laughs> you paid how much for that <laughs> oat milk? that's an ongoing conversation <laughs> honestly <laughs> and she genuinely is like she was like do we have milk and i'm like mine was in the fridge she's like mm, no <laughs> um so i think so i think 
one of the things you that we can do is exactly as you've done, Nabila, is to sit down and, and talk about it. And so whenever we speak about the droughts, I will say to my mum, oh, it's because, you know, it's going to get worse because of climate crisis. Mm. Um, and I think even sometimes having the language for it in yeah. our, um, you know, in, in Somali was like difficult to even yeah. convey mm. because like the complexities of it, I was, I was personally struggling mm. um, to show it. So I think that's one thing that I do is like label it and really try and, and emphasize it. And then in terms of encouraging change in the house, um, I think one thing that I like try to do is almost is like change by example. Mm-hmm. Um, so if it's like oh hold on, like I, I'm not gonna have meat, like can you not um, you know can you like leave that out for me today? Um, or like you know I've, I've got like I said like the milk or you know I'm not buy I'm not, I'm not gonna buy this. I've already got enough of them. Mm-hmm. Or let's take let's not have more plastic bags. Um, I think that's like what I would try and do in the house. Mm-hmm. I think it's a hard harder conversation to have i'll be honest with you and i don't think there's a silver bullet mm-hmm. to answering it i think for me what i would do like w- if i was talking to anybody would be to think through you know what do my parents care about yeah. you know what are their motivations um you know they have real concern for mm-hmm. you know their family back home and then try and talk about it in a language that they understand mm-hmm. and recognize sometimes these things can take time mm-hmm. and there might not be an instant shift in you know their mentality but through consistency and through your own actions and obviously actually sadly through seeing these events get mm. worse and worse i do think we can bring you know our parents and our, the older mm. generation on side as well it makes me think a little bit about um so very recently um so um, i kind of uh publish like the content on the social media platforms for IR and um, one of the videos that we kind of published recently was the droughts in Kenya Mm. Um, and I think there is like a lack of education and I guess I don't want to say resources because there's so much out there but even like the Islamic Relief supporters or audiences who might even be listening today um, who have donated to campaigns like uh, for like the famine campaigns the drought campaigns ultimately like it all does just link back to the climate crisis Mm. and I think it's as much as like you know donating towards that i think at the same time there needs to be an understanding of like why am i donating like did i have to donate in the first place it's because of like abc that this situation is taking place in the first place um so i think it's it's that kind of education and understanding and having some sort of i don't know like centralized hub or something where it goes right back to what you were saying at the beginning yeah Mm. because one of the first things that you said was that you know some of these humanitarian issues Mm. that we're working on and you know there's such a big emphasis from the muslim community especially on humanitarian crises um is started perpetuated sustained worsened by the climate crisis Mm, exactly um it's true and it's also about like who are the best messengers to deliver that to our parents yes um sometimes we are not (laughs) the best messengers and it's similarly like you know with other issues that the communities Mm. are facing like you know vaccines and, and and things like that you know try and think about who would be the best person to deliver it um so i think you know i would love to see you know more like more people from the community, older generation speaking up, because I do think mm. there's something about like a peer-to-peer conversation yes, mm. that can make a difference. Um, Even I'm, Friday, yeah. like Jamal, like exactly, you know, these yeah. conversations. I feel like they very often it's like you push for it, um, like when it's like time for like COP or yeah. when there's like you know like Muslim Climate Action Week. It's like oh, let's have a green like khutbah, but what, yeah. like why isn't something like that more kind of frequent? You know, I I agree mm. exactly, and I think 
like there's an authority that comes from the Friday sermons yeah. that sometimes can override us because like my mom just sees me as like oh you western girl like you, you know you don't know what I've <laughs> with been with your through. oat milk <laughs> exactly yeah like I'm almost like I'm the hippie in the house and I was like what um so I think yeah I definitely think that that, that carries weight as well anyway um, I just thought straight away of um, my niece and nephew and just children in general and how we would educate them around. Because I remember at Maid we had um, posters up, like even in the bathrooms where mm. sometimes there'd be like school children going in, inside those. And it would be like, you know, don't waste water even if you're a running stream. And I, I think like bringing education in from a really young age and connecting it to faith, you mm. know, is, is so important. Mm. Um, what... Would you be able to elaborate on a concept like conscious capitalism? Because obviously we're working within a society that thrives on consumption um, here in the West um, specifically. Um, can people um, uh, be more conscious with their capitalism? Can they be more conscious with their consumption? Um, how does it um, impact the, the, the acceleration of the climate crisis? Um, and does it have a bigger impact, our conscious, conscious consumption, than um, something like switching the tap off or, or, you know, recycling? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to say in terms of actions, in terms of comparing them like for like, but I would say that having a consciousness is kind of the first step to change. Yeah. Um, so for me personally, let's say for, with clothes, um, that kind of consciousness of knowing um, fast fashion and the consequences it has on the planet, on, on the people that make them and how it fuels a cycle um, it is something that like stops me so I you know, ask myself, do I really need this item? You know, is it a good quality item? How many times like, you know, the, the longevity of the material, etc, etc mm-hmm. um, I do think for us there's, there's two things, right, and maybe it goes back to how I was speaking about earlier around uh, trying to create this culture change mm. um, I think once there's a, a larger consciousness with consumers, I do think that then hopefully can lead to an element of behaviour change. I was just going to say, how do you get people to care? Because mm. I just think that there is such a sense of apathy when it comes mm. to, you know, I, I mean, we can talk about conscious capitalism till the cows come home and we can sit there and analyse, you know, the supply chain and it really does affect us in that moment. And then we go outside and all is forgotten as soon as we see that, see that perfect pair of boots. I, I is there something that you know has been proven to anchor you or anchor people that you know it on this journey um you know people who are really willing but find that willingness fleeting yeah I think that's a really good question and it kind of reminds me of like the journeys that people take to become vegetarians right. for instance of like that there was like a light bulb moment mm. that made them switch and to be honest, I, from my personal experience, I don't think they may be light bulb moments, but often it's quite incremental yeah. in in the changes that that people will say. Um, and I think firstly, when I think about like trying to get people to change, I think about the who. So, mm-hmm. you know, what actually, what actually is a motivating factor for mm. them? You know, like is it, you know, is it from an economic angle? Can you say actually, if you invest in one good quality pair of, of an outfit that will last you much longer than buying 10 things that will actually wear and tear and cause subsequent damage. Mm-hmm. Then it's, like, I guess, an element of trying to promote the environmental effects, the damages, the human rights angles from it. Um, there's also something, actually, if we're taking it away from the individual, but actually trying to get companies to act as well. Yeah. Um, because I think 
individual voice matters, uh, consumer voices matter, but actually also simultaneously, you know, NGOs, groups, community groups, individuals need to get companies to make sure what they're doing is in accordance with, mm. you know, like it's transparent, um, you know, doesn't degrade the environment, obviously um, it doesn't abuse the rights of workers. So I think there's a, there's a parallel there. I think it's one of those things, similarly to when we were talking about how to get our parents on side, mm-hmm. um, that there is like no silver bullet, but yeah. I do think the more we talk about it, the more we show those images, the more likely we are to see people changing. And I do think people are much more aware than they were previously. Um, I do think that... Um, uh, people care mm-hmm. it's just tapping into that and and and, and leveraging that mm-hmm. um and i think in these spaces of like hopelessness especially when we're talking about companies i think we need to be quite aware of greenwashing as well mm-hmm. because i think we've now moved into a space where everyone's kind of aware of the, the environment like more or less in the sense of like environment is is an issue yes. um but companies you know, might position what they do as actually being quite ethical when it's not. And I think there's something around myth busting that for people. Um, So they're able to then make informed choices for themselves. Yeah, I've seen that a lot on them, especially small businesses that um, have, you know, they use terms like eco-friendly or what have you. And um, you look at their supply chain and it will only, you know, be in reference to one specific act uh, aspect of it. And it's actually quite deceptive. um, And I, so I, do think that there is definitely a uh, an accountability for anybody that is contributing products waste consumption anything to the world as well as on the part of the consumer because obviously that's the first place we look is is the consumer when really it it's it's really a top-down issue as well like you said there are some big companies at play um you also mentioned ngos mm. there um it's one of the questions we had down actually to ask you is what are the r- the role of ngos um, in the climate crisis and the humanitarian effects of those uh, or the human- humanitarian crises as a, as, a, as a consequence? Yeah, so I'd say the roles of NGOs can be varied depending on their own specialism and the, the model and, and how they work. So in terms of my own experience uh, you know, as a campaigner, um, that really is to create you know the, the political and public space mm-hmm. and appetite for change so it's like you say trying to get people on side it's trying to then leverage that onto the decision the, the decision makers that have power um and you know in my current role now it's working alongside you know ambitious cities to deliver that you know work with them um and then there are you know ngos who might do like programs so i think islamic relief is much more along those lines so you know working directly with affected communities on the ground supporting them you know you fundraise you know for food or homes or you support a well and you know um all of that jazz i do think there are you know some ngos who have um you know, m- much more kind of uh, policy-led or can, you know, advise really much more on the technical details. Um, so I'd say there's definitely, they're m- really varied in, in how they work. And, um, you know, the final one is probably some also very, you know, work well with communities as well on the ground. Um, so I'd say they're all varied. I think they all probably unite around the same kind of progressive values and, and wanting to see action and mm-hmm. wanting to see change. Um, so I think that's, they, they have a role and I think they, to be honest, historically, I guess NGOs are trying to plug spaces where there is, um, a need for change, but trying to create that kind of momentum, um, and plug the vacuum probably that exists. Um, 
I was going to ask just a little uh, question about, I feel like there there are a few terms that we've used so mm. far that m- everyone might not be aware of. Like, with So I want to go back a little bit, um, but I think one of the words that you mentioned was greenwashing, yes. and I wanted to ask you to elaborate a little bit on that. Yes. That's not an official term. <laughs> <laughs> um, so is it an official term? Yeah, yeah it, it is. It's an official term, okay. but like, you know, my recount of it might not be. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. Um, so greenwashing would be, um, you know, positioning yourself um, as, you know, a... Uh, or doing an act that's very climate friendly, but in fact it isn't. Mm-hmm. Um, it also similarly could be trying to attach yourself to, you know, things that are related to the climate crisis as a way to cover your mm-hmm. own actions or polluting actions. Um, it's really, it's really kind of a, a disingenuous act to basically cover the what, what you're doing or to almost use the, cl- the climate as a way to like mm-hmm. propel your yeah. business or issues. Um, um, in 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 a in a disingenuous way, yeah. um, and I think, mm. yeah, I think it, it's something that we need to be much more aware of, mm-hmm. um, especially as yeah issues around the climate progress. Yeah. And um, one of the uh, another term as well. Um, so you described um, the, like the term a climate campaigner. What does a camp um, a climate campaigner do? How do you become a climate campaigner? And how do you avoid greenwashing? <laughs> That's it. That, you know, when you were like, what is a cl- climate campaign? I feel like that's my mum when she's like, what do you actually do? <laughs> you know, your parents don't really know what you do. Um, uh, yes, yeah, so a climate campaigner um, works on a climate, but works to advocate um, for kind of climate issues um, and the delivery of climate solutions mm-hmm. in line with, you know, um, the scale of the crisis. Um, so for me specifically, in my role, that works, that work means working with community groups in the past it, it means you know working around public pressure public events you might see you know things through petitions online actions um it could be um rural life events when we used to have them a lot um uh so it's all really varied it could be working to support lobbying mps um so it's kind of essentially really building the public and political capacity yeah. to have the solutions mm. that we need yeah. um in, in a nutshell it's like an awareness machine yeah yeah a- a- awareness and also yeah exactly in combination with supporting communities on the ground as well potentially for mm-hmm. some people that might the community element might not be there yes i think the model in different mm-hmm. let's say organizations might differ yeah um and how can you be a-, a campaigner it's really interesting i think there's i never when i left university sought out to be a campaigner like yeah. in, in terms of having that as my day job mm-hmm. um i do think it's it's an industry industry or like a job that is actually quite harder mm. to get mm. than it should be um so my route was to have you know internship with maid and then I actually had another internship and then I got a campaigns assistant role mm-hmm. um so that would be the usual trajectory mm-hmm. um uh, but I definitely would recommend people who want to do campaigning on a day-to-day job to just start doing it in their personal lives right anyway and I do think good campaigners usually have that they have you know they're fired up by the issues mm-hmm. that usually is what they work on in the day-to-day and that is something they would do in their personal time um and it allows you to gain experiences meet new people who could support you mm-hmm. um and yeah kickstart that journey there and just generally like perseverance and i think that's advice for wider Definitely. roles and not just campaigning yeah. per se and what mm-hmm. kind of challenges do you experience in your role yeah that's a good question in my campaigning career i think it kind of echoes to what we've been speaking about now probably the biggest challenge that i 
face with and and try to grapple with is getting more people getting more diverse people mm-hmm. um to be in the mix and i think whilst we have moved in in that direction i do think that's something that we're still grappling with i remember doing an interview once um and the interview asked me and was like but climate the climate crisis isn't popping off in my group chat um and i was like oh that's a really interesting way to look at um how like well an issue resonates mm. and wh- whether people talk about it and i do think it has started popping off my group chat thankfully um but it's you know extreme weather moments yeah. you know especially around the flooding that we had like a month or so ago um but i think that's probably a challenge that we grapple with um and trying to make you know the climate issues resonate with people um who on a day-to-day basis you know, might be concerned about bills, you know, they might be worried about feeding their family, um, what you know, jobs. And I do think actually there's a big opportunity there with climate. I think especially as we build back from, you know, coronavirus, um, there is a big opportunity to connect that climate issues can also really help create a better a better society for everybody, yes. you know. It can help clean up our air we can actually build you know homes that are fit for purpose that are safe and comfortable that could you know lower bills um for families it can create more jobs Mm -hmm. sustainable jobs for people and i think to be honest uh, you know actually speaking back to the question that we were speaking um about earlier we need to connect the dots for climate and it's not just this isolated you know deliver on climate and all it works is just for emissions but actually we can transform the lives that we lead and the lives of our families and the future generations if we act on climate properly. Yeah. Sometimes mm. also, I think there's such a rep when it comes to climate about being preachy. Mm. And I think, you know, everyone just feels like, I remember when I first got my first climate job, someone was like, oh no, are you going to be like on your more higher ground now? Are you going to be preachy? And I was like, babes, I'm not. Yeah. Um, but I think there's something to be said around like the perception of that. Yes. Um, and I think sometimes like, if you're with your friends and family, like read a room, you know, like is if you're like yeah, if you if you are, if your messages aren't landing or they're just getting irritating, maybe that's counterproductive to what you need to do. And it could just be like you said, maybe like through watching you, that might be the best example. You might not even need to say anything potentially. Um, but I mean, you know, I think conversations are obviously good, but I think there's something around just knowing how you're doing things because I think the how can also be quite alienating, and we've seen that we have. Um, you know, a few, you know, environmental, you know, protests that have mm. happened that can be quite alienating to specific communities, like black and brown communities. So I yes. think mm. the how is as important to like what you're talking about. Absolutely. Mm. And I feel like even, like I, I'm just going back to social media again because that's one place where I see it. So like all the time, like on my explore page where it's like this person's living in this particular way and it just mm. feels like it's so hard to reach. Like it, I, what can I do to get there? Like it just, I'm not there yet and I feel like I'm destroying the planet through my actions. But it's like, where do you begin? And I think you have to remember like the little things that we're doing. It's something not, to, I don't know if celebrate is the right word, but try like doing your best and kind of like being content with that mm. and like, being con- like the consciousness part yeah. is, is massive and like as long as you're conscious and like taking those small like taking those steps to ultimately you know exactly like with yeah. the intentions and social media like what you see on there is uh, it's, a, it's like with everything isn't it it's always this like mm. hyper focus mm. on like two percent of someone's life so mm. that what they're doing in their lives who knows what they're doing for 98 percent of it mm. so I, it's like don't compare or use social media as a way to like let you let you or put yourself down in any way because i think 
it's such a it's such a microcosm mm. um and i think with the climate issue like you say you either feel like you're terrible you're doing great but actually just keep persevering just keep mm. trying to do your best and i think that is that is good enough yeah. um and and that is what yeah i think through those small actions you can also then activate you can like i think you can activate more actions for yourself but also you can then use your voice to call on you know like national decision makers you've called it a, you, uh, you referred to it as a journey quite a few times mm. in this conversation and i think that's a really um uh, you know beautiful and accurate way of describing it um ultimately we don't know what our day-to-day actions are going to have um in you know the long term yeah, i mean we only ever really have today and we kind of have to just you know take that step-by-step action as you've as you've said mm. and described um yeah. i did want to ask one question mm. i don't want to leave it on this so hopefully we'll be able to pick yeah. it back up again oh, but it's going to go down down it's going to go down down okay. um i do think it's important to to ask this question because i think it's going to be the one on everyone's lips which is are we too far gone in the climate crisis that we're in at the moment all the stuff that we're talking about now um is it even going to be relevant to us in five ten years um I I feel like all I hear in this conversation sometimes is like the end of the world is coming, especially in the Muslim community. Like it's end times, these are signs of the times. Um, and, you know, it will come a point where, you know, the climate crisis won't discriminate any longer. It will be every single person, you know, and um, that is, I mean, it just says so much about, uh, you know, our, where we're at. Um, as a global community at the moment that we're even letting it happen to you know a disproportionate um, amount of people with certain communities around the world so yeah I I hate to be this guy unfortunately I do fall into kind of this category of getting quite hopeless so a lot of this is quite a, a good conversation for me I'm like a prime example guinea pig of somebody who really gets paralyzed by mm. these conversations um are we too far gone, Rana? That's a that is a deep question. I can feel as you speak the the emotion <laughs> from mm. it. Um, so I would say we still have so much left to fight for and achieve. Um, and as I was referencing the report earlier, um, everything that we do to like save on emissions can have a positive impact for the world that we live in. Um, and I would say there's what we're fighting for now. It, I'm not gonna, the climate crisis is overwhelming. It's, it can be f- really easy to succumb to the doom and gloom. And I don't wanna belittle that. Um, and I wanna acknowledge it. That's a real thing because we are in, in, in a crisis. We're seeing extreme weather. We've experienced it now in, in, in London and in the UK and in uh, the global North. So that is a fact, um, but I want to twist it and turn it to hope. I think there is so much that can be done and we should do to ensure things don't get worse and ensure we're preserving the planet that we have and the lives and the livelihoods that we have. And I think, you know, the science shows that if we act now, we can work to bring down global temperatures. Um, So what I would say is turn that kind of like doom and gloom into like, positive action if that's if that's possible and if that's available to you um so that would be call on your decision makers um who have the power to act and bring about the change that we need um because i think that is where you know the you know the change lies and we're going into 
you know, COP26 in November, where global leaders around the world will meet and, and pledge their emissions and, and what they will cut by 2030. And I think that is a critical milestone. Yeah. And I think so much has changed and shifted. Um, public opinion has really increased, really grown, has, has come on side. Um, I think we can talk about the climate crisis in, in, in a way that resonates. And I do think, so what I'm trying to say is your, your feelings matter. It, it's understandable as to why you feel like that. But I do think with the power um, of people, the younger generation, you know, Greta Thunberg and how she's expired, inspired the school strikers um, and the millions of people that care, we can work to push those in charge to turn things around. And I think we need to hold on to that mm. because if we don't hold on to that, then, then it's game over, right? Mm. Um, because I think holding on to that will keep us going. And I think um, to quote um, Michaela Loach, who is a, a climate activist, really great on social media, um, and I think she says that, um, I don't know if it was her own words, but when we're campaigning or when we're outraged about an issue, we need to keep the anger, but we also need to keep the joy. Mm. And I think the two things have to be in parallel because if you have just the anger, then you can be like succumbed. And I think the joy helps to counteract that because it. I think the joy is about what you're fighting for and mm. not what you're fighting against. And I think what you're fighting for needs to be on the front mind as well to inspire. So you're fighting for the healthy planet, you're fighting for nature, the animals, you're fighting um, for like, for me, the livelihoods of my family in Somalia. I think keeping the joy as well as the anger mm. is the kind of the winning combination. And also mm. rest. Sometimes it's important if, if it's too much to look on the news, turn the news off. If you feel like you need a break from activism and if you need a break from it, that is your right. Rest is important because it's how you sustain yourself. It's how you sustain your voice. Yeah, so beautiful. You're my face of optimism for this conversation. <laughs> you I can always do it. And you have my number, so you can just text me. <laughs> no, it actually really helps. I think that is speaks to the value of everything that you've just talked about, that you've just mentioned that and offered that, because we do need these spaces. I need these spaces to ask questions and talk about it and make this conversation accessible. You do, Nabila. Anyone listening does. Um, and thank you for just bringing this whole conversation back up to a level of, you know... Um, hope and faith that you know is instilled in us in our mm -hmm. dean as well mm -hmm. um so much of what you said really goes right back to what you were talking about in the beginning with regards to how faith um comes into the work that you yeah. do and just seeing yourself as a steward and looking at our dean and how holistic the approach that you've described mm -hmm. is and and how that's in our faith as well i was so kind of afraid of this like I think I'm like you, Sarah, just very overwhelmed by all of the information that's out there and all mm. of like, yeah, it's just overconsumption of like the same. And it, it, like you said, Mona, like turn it off when you need to turn it off. But I think that how you framed and spoken about everything it makes it easy to like reapproach. Um, and it's very, mashallah, inspiring and eloquent and really beautifully mm. put. Um, and yeah, and I, I'm really excited for people to listen to this because yeah. I think a lot of the time, even how you described, um, explained the term cri climate crisis at the beginning, you did it so like so Not concise and yeah, it was like so That's easy to understand. I'm a scientist. <laughs> even when I might work, um, and I'm like, okay, break this down for me. <laughs> like I like I think I'm just like me and I think you're right sometimes there's a technical barrier to there people is, understanding yeah, things um, and I don't I think the climate crisis isn't as ambiguous as it used to be yeah. but mm -hmm. I do think there's like you hear emissions ozone like you hear, you hear different throws, things and yeah. you're like I, I need a like dictionary to yeah. really unpack this um, and I do think actually that's something that 
we as a as a movement mm-hmm. can do like making climate more accessible mm-hmm. yes. um lowering the bar and that you know you as you are now have a role in this movement and you know whatever your skill is and i think when we think of campaigning, we might think of it in a specific way, but you know, if you're an artist, you know, can you draw your vision? You know, can you use that to promote the climate mm-hmm. crisis? If you sing, can you do that? Um, you know, if you're, if you're uh, in the mosque, like can you promote it in the mosque? Like whatever you do with your own skills mm-hmm. is valuable to making sure we bring about the world we want to see. You don't have to convert um, or be this like machine or, yeah. you know, copycat of what an activist should be. Mm-hmm. You and the skills you have are valid and what we need. We just yeah. need more people basically on site. Yeah, no, so, you're a critical yeah. voice for that. And I'm so glad that our listeners will get the opportunity to listen to someone like you um, and know where the donations are going, kind of understanding the holistic nature of the humanitarian crises that um, Islamic Relief UK and Islamic Relief is dealing with and other NGOs all over the world so thank you um, it's been a real pleasure talking to yeah. you again thank you so I much. really thank enjoyed this conversation yeah. thank yeah. you so much for having it thank you so much thank you assalamu alaikum <laughs>